Welcome to the Top 5, where I discuss my top 5 takeaways from each week's NASCAR race. This week, the Circuits of the Americas. Hello and welcome. My name is Connor, and each week I take a little bit of time to discuss my top 5 takeaways. This week we are talking about the Circuits of America, better known as CODA. And if you wouldn't mind, please check me out on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash the top five. It's all spelled out though. So patreon.com forward slash T-H-E-T-O-P-F-I-V-E. I would greatly appreciate it. So let's get into this week's top five. Number one. Number one takeaway is mostly about pre-race. Uh, I'm not a big road course guy i do like sonoma i do like Watkins glen Uh, i could do without the roval uh coda to me is the worst of the road courses it's too long uh they it's called the insert company name here grand prix i don't think that the term grand prix uh belongs in nascar the strategies at road courses bore me so much short pitting and trying to gain which i get they're trying to gain the competitive advantage but i'd rather see an advantage gained on the racetrack than in the pits personally i know it's a a major team sport and uh you know it's not just the driver but i still i don't love the idea of the field basically flip-flops every stage because there's so many drivers at the back of the lead lap that are pitting with two laps to go. Uh, then the top cars have to stay out for points. I love it. You see it sometimes at other tracks, but not like you do at road courses. 24 shifts per lap with the new shifter. Uh, that, that doesn't excite me. That's not a statistic that jumps out at me as something cool or noteworthy. To me, that's... That's more of a turnoff. I understand that the better drivers are, are or the better shifters are going to have an advantage, but not really for me. Uh, and this was the first road course for the new car, which is something that I've talked a lot about. I was very interested to see how the new car uh, would handle this. It seemed being in the Xfinity race the day prior was a huge advantage for drivers, um, Hendrick cars didn't qualify well, except for Bowman. He did. I qualified in the top 10. Uh, Blaney spun in practice, but came back to get the, the pole. Um, that was interesting to see. I really don't like the full course cautions. I know that's a NASCAR thing. They don't do partial course cautions like an F1 or, or an IndyCar. But this track is 3.5 miles. That's huge. It's over two minutes a lap, or right around two minutes a lap. That's plenty of time to to get a car out of the way. And I know Nash, NASCAR was very cautious about throwing cautions. They didn't throw it unless it was absolutely necessary. But this whole event was 68 laps. And you're already guaranteeing... Six of those laps are um, at stage breaks. So now we have 
a you know, handful of cautions really not running as many green flag laps as one would like. Uh, I did think Coach Gibbs gave a very nice pre-race prayer. That was pretty cool to see. Uh, I didn't know... I knew that he was a religious person. I didn't realize he was that religious. But good for him, and that's that's great. Uh, and my last pre-race takeaway is the Fox drone has to go. That is so annoying. It's not even new technology. It's yesterday's news last week. Drones are overplayed, and it's not getting good footage. I would way rather see the view from the blimp than the drone. It's like the producers got a new toy and they cannot stop playing with it. But speaking of Fox, that leads me into my takeaway number two. Number two. My second takeaway is all about the Fox broadcast booth. I've always been a big fan of the Fox broadcast. I like it better than NBC. NBC's not bad, although I could deal without Rick Allen. Rick Allen, to me, sounds like he's talking like somebody trying to sound like a broadcaster instead of just broadcasting. Mike Joy just talks. He just shares what he sees as it's happening. He's not monotone, but he doesn't get overly excited. And it sort of is a a calming yet informative voice. Whereas Rick Allen tries to take on a persona. Like he's going to broadcast the race did coming today. You know, it's it's very forced, it seems like. He's pushing his voice. But I've always preferred Mike Joy. I loved Daryl Waltrip and Larry McReynolds. That was my my favorite. I thought Jeff Gordon did a great job when he was there maybe two years. I was kind of hoping that that team would stick around. I think that Clint Boyer is the perfect replacement for Daryl Waltrip. I was never a big Clint Boyer fan when he raced. I, I didn't dislike him either. I just, he was just one of those guys. I respected him, but uh, in the booth, I've really grown to appreciate his quirkiness and his sense of humor. I think him and Mike Joy complement each other so this season fox has their third commentator has been a rotating chair they've had tony stewart they've had danica patrick matt kenseth they had jeff gordon come back and this week tony stewart was back in the booth and i cannot reiterate enough how awful tony stewart is in the booth he is just terrible he is a damn good race car driver, and I'm sure he's a great car owner, but he's not cut out for broadcast. He's monotone and boring. He steps on Clint Boyer and ruins Clint Boyer's bits. He doesn't have the ability to move on. When Clint Boyer gives him a hard time about something, instead of uh, letting it go or making a quick quip back and moving forward... He has to drag it out to the point where Clint Boria will, will move on. I think that Mike Joy is off when Tony Stewart's in the booth. I think he's bored with him or annoyed with him. It's, it's really hard to say. And Mike Joy is the constant professional. 
But more than all of that, the thing that drives me crazy the most is that Tony Stewart doesn't call the race as he sees it happening. He calls the race as he sees it affecting himself or his team or his driver. And while I understand the emotional draw of having a car that you own or multiple cars that you own in the race, when you're broadcasting, you can't, you cannot have it relate to you. You have to have it relate to your audience. Not that I'm some sort of broadcasting expert, but I know enough about it to know that Tony Stewart is terrible. And further, what is the end game with this revolving chair of commentators? Are these drivers just doing auditions to see who's going to end up with the permanent spot? I don't think it's fair to Mike Joy and Clint Boyer that each week they have to change their broadcast to fit whoever Fox could get in the booth. I think Danica was better than Clint Boyer. And I'd like to see her again. I don't know if she deserves a permanent spot. But I think Fox needs to make a decision here. Either fill it with whoever you're going to fill it with and move forward, or make it a two-person booth. I don't know what their end game is. But let's move on to my third point, the race itself. Number three. So I'll be honest, this was not the most exciting race. It's going to go down as one of the most exciting finishes. And that last lap was crazy, and we will get to that. But the midsection of the race, the beginning and mid, really weren't all that exciting. Uh, Suarez got off to a great start. The opening lap, he took uh, the lead from Blaney, who was on the pole. Pretty much led all of stage one. A few other notable points were uh, Kyle Busch on lap nine spun. It's just been such a wonderful start to the season to watch Kyle Busch struggle so much. I don't know if I've enjoyed watching a driver struggle more ever. He got bumped in the rear by Chase Elliott, who immediately acknowledged on the radio, Chase said it was his fault, and it was. Don't care. Props in my book. Anytime you spin out Kyle Busch, you're a hero in my book. Also, Kyle Busch lost the truck race the day prior uh, in a in a kind of crummy way, which is always great to see. Why is he in truck races? Honestly, it makes no sense. But uh, so Suarez won stage one. They did the flip-flop strategy where the cars at the back pitted at the end of stage one and got to the front. Hamlin won stage two. Uh, the ending of stage two was pretty crazy. Uh, there was a, a wreck coming to the finish. Starting stage three, the, that hairpin turn uh, coming off the, the start-finish line, turn one, I guess you would call it, it, that was exciting. That was restarts were something to watch. I would watch a restart and then kind of look at my phone or tune out or get on Twitter for a while. But the way that they would fan out five wide into that first turn, and there were a lot of mistakes there. Um, 
Logano went from first to 12th on that one turn alone because he locked up his tires. Uh, another notable thing was the first caution for something other than stage endings wasn't until stage three. At the beginning of stage three, Cendric spun uh, and brought out the, the first of many full field cautions. I guess that was surprising that it took into stage three for a, a accident caution to come out. There was no comp caution. And I'm guessing the reason for all of this is the short stages. Stage one and two were only 15 laps. So I guess that was made sense. Um, then with 24 to go in stage three, Bubba Wallace lost a wheel. And I, I liked Clint Boyer's take on that. He said uh, it's going to be a vacation for his crew chief. And I don't really get why it's such a strict penalty for crew chief. If you lose a tire, a crew chief is automatically suspended. I believe it's for four races. NASCAR made the decision to go to single lug, knowing good and darn well that these type of things can happen. And then it's enforced strict penalties when these type of things happen. I don't get that myself, and I'm not apologizing for Bubba Wallace or his crew or crew chief. It is what it is, but that that is odd to me. It's sort of an oxymoron. But uh, the, the leading, leading cars coming down to the end of stage three, end of the race, were on the edge of their fuel window, 22 laps to go, it was the most exciting part and the finish of the race is my number four but before we get to number four let's check in with Mackenzie. here's with trending in nascar with Mackenzie. welcome to training with Mackenzie, but it's also just fun facts and cool things before i tell you the answers to the podcast question from the last podcast i want to tell you the story Ross Chastain grew up in Florida as a watermelon farmer. When he made it up as a NASCAR driver, he would smash watermelons when he won races. So when he won his first cup race, he smashed a watermelon and ate it off the ground. I thought that was funny. Here are the questions to the last podcast. Number one, per week, how much does it cost to own a NASCAR team? Four hundred thousand dollars per week number two who won the nascar race in atlanta motor speedway william byron and number three how much do nascar spotters get paid two thousand five hundred maximum per race and here are the new questions for this week number one how much do nascar cars cost number two how much is a nascar engine worth and number three how many MPG does a NASCAR car get? Try to answer these without looking them up. Bye. Great job, Mackenzie. Now let's keep going with number four. Number four. So as previously mentioned, coming to the end, the lead cars were in a questionable fuel strategy. Could they make it? Could they not? 
18 to go, the 42 car spun, and I thought that was solved your problem. But it didn't. They didn't throw a caution for that. It wasn't until lap 15, when I say 15, I mean 15 laps to go, there was a caution, and that pretty much solved the the fuel mileage issue for the other drivers, the drivers up front. But that was just a, a look of things to come. Cautions, bread, cautions. 12 to go. Cendric and Grala got into it. Uh, then Corey LaJoy broke something with 10 to go. Uh, and it really turned into a two-card battle. Ross Chastain and AJ Allmendinger fighting it out at the end. Hadn't really seen a lot of, in the past handful of years, we haven't seen a lot of road course specialists like A.J. Allmendinger. And it was cool to see him up front. Uh, then, with six to go, some caution by some guy I've never heard of. I didn't even bother looking it up, some no-name. We get restarted, four to go, Joey Logano spins, causing the race to go into overtime. And that might have been the most exciting overtime I've seen in a while. A.J. Allmendinger moved Chastain to get by him. As those two raced, Alex Bowman came up to the, uh, to the lead. And then Chastain pushed Allmendinger into Bowman, got by both on the inside to get the first victory of the season. Smashed the watermelon, as Mackenzie mentioned. It was, it was cool. It, and it did just sort of seem like it was Ross Chastain's day. Uh, other notables, uh, Chase Elliott ended up having a good day, finished in the top five. The Hendrick cars had been complaining, and Chase had been complaining about overheating early in the race. And uh, he came up to, to get the top five. Uh, and then Kyle Busch had a second spin on the final lap. Man, few things are better. If you can see Kyle Busch spin twice in one race, it's a good day. Uh, but congrats to Chastain. He couldn't have been more excited. His team was excited. In the post-race interviews, Almondinger was pretty angry. He said, we all have to look at ourselves in the mirror and be okay with the decisions we make. I I get it. In the heat of the moment, I get it. He's mad. I think when cooler heads prevail, Almondinger's going to realize it's a racing thing. Almondinger moved Briscoe. I'm sorry. Almondinger moved Ross Chastain. Ross Chastain moved him back. Now, one of those moves may have been a little bit more aggressive than the other. Almondinger kind of gave Chastain a light bump and pushed him up the corner where Chastain legitimately took out Allmendinger. I get it, but it's the final lap of a road course. That's what happens. I can't think of a, a close road course finish where drivers weren't beaten and banging. So congrats to, to Ross Chastain and his crew. Congrats to his team, their first ever cup win. And I think that Chastain is, is a hell of a driver that we're going to see 
he had two second place finishes in the two previous week and then a victory. I don't think this is a flash in the pan type win. I think this is a driver that has a lot of talent, and I think we're going to see a lot of watermelons get smashed. So moving forward, my last point, let's look forward to the next race. Number five. Ah, the Richmond race in the springtime. I feel like half of these have been ran on Mondays due to weather. You never know what you're going to get weather-wise in Virginia in early spring. But Richmond is a cool track. A couple of podcasts ago when we were talking about Atlanta, we said it's like a miniature super speedway. Richmond is like a miniature... 1.5 mile. It's a D-shaped oval, but it's only three quarters of a mile. So it races like a short track and a uh, intermediate track combined. Uh, I really, I've always really enjoyed these races. They're competitive. There's two full grooves in Richmond. I, uh, I am very curious to see what the new car provides at Richmond. What we've learned from uh, the other two short tracks is uh, that it, short track racing in this car is, is fun uh, because it is um, so durable, the new car. <clears throat> so that could be interesting. Also, short track r- racing is when drivers exact their revenge. If you're mad from something that happened the previous week, you take it out, or even two, three, four, five weeks ago, you wait until a short track because you can dump a guy to get your payback without totally ruining their day. Well, there was a lot of bumping and banging uh, at Coda last week. So let's see how um, how much payback there's going to be. And I am very curious to see the trend. Uh, the last handful of weeks we've had a speedway, a road course, and a short track. We've had Phoenix and Atlanta, then Coda. There has been a strong tend, trend of third stage cautions. Seems like everyone kind of rides out the first couple of stages, and then stage three is just a wreck fest. So we will see uh, if that trend continues. And then lastly, uh, the... Um, Tires. We've seen tires be an issue at every track except for Coda, and that's because Goodyear brings an incredibly tough tire to road courses because that's necessary. So let's see if the trend of tires falling off in in rear ends of of cars flipping around continues. Look forward to watching it. I look forward to sharing my thoughts, my predictions. If I'm betting with money, I'm going to take Larson. If I'm betting with my heart, I'm going to take Joey Logano. Let's go 22. So these have been my top five thoughts. I really appreciate you taking a moment to listen. I hope you had a a good time listening. Share with me your thoughts. Check me out on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash the top five. T-H-E-T-O-P-F-I-V-E. Or send me an email. Connorbruin at gmail.com. That's C-O-N-O-R-B as in boy, R-U-E-N at gmail.com. I would love to hear your thoughts. Have a good conversation about NASCAR. Disagree, agree, whatever you have to say. 
Thanks again for listening. I'm Connor, and these were my top five. I'm Sarah with the tower.